it's Lewis and Megan, your favorite academics in training. I am Lewis Bubrick. I'm Megan Yapchungo. And welcome to another episode of the Academia Podcast, the show where two PhD students talk to grad students, postdocs, early career faculty members, and other academics to learn about how they got where they are, what they're studying, and what other weird stuff gets them just as excited. Today on the show, we have a Mr. Brian McNeil. He did his bachelor's degree at the University of South Florida, where he got degrees in integrative animal biology and environmental science and policy. And he is now at the University of Alabama doing his PhD in biology. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We are going to talk uh, a lot about a lot of different topics. And so we'll get to what you are specifically studying at the end of the show. But where do we start? Where do we start, Megan? Gosh, I feel like where we start is that Brian has gifted me, I think what can only be described as the best birthday present I've ever received and the best (laughs) flat out present that I've ever received in my entire life. Okay, so for some context, when's your birthday, Megan? My birthday is January 10th. Which is only three days before mine. Only three days before Brian's. That's actually more impressive. So, you know, January birthdays, I imagine might be hard to, you know, what do you get somebody? And then just for you, what do you get the woman who has everything right what like what more could you want so i I think yeah brian you went (laughs) so So. yeah i was actually in the movie dolphin tale 2 and so i was at the gas station by my house and i first of all i don't know what this phenomenon is where gas stations have like random dvds for sale inside of them but (laughs) standing on this rack was dolphin tale 2 and i was thought to myself oh my gosh i'm gonna sign this and give it to her and say that she now has a signed copy of dolphin tale 2 by one of the actors uh just to bring up i'm not actually in the film uh but they have a post credit scene that i am in for approximately one and a half seconds so you're not the dolphin is what you're telling me i'm definitely not the dolphin without a tail i I tried out for that part but they were like you you clearly have a tail sir (laughs) Sir, you clearly have a tail. (laughs) The best part is it's signed on the outside and on the physical DVD. Oh, I made sure to sign the DVD as well. That's a nice little touch that I like to leave for my fans. Yeah. Well, you know what that means? That she can separate them and then she can sell both independently. I know. I actually technically can't sell them at all because Brian has yet to physically... I've never actually given the gift to her. So that's actually the best part of it is I still have the gift. It's sitting right here on my desk. He's just looking at me. hyped it up for months. Like, Yeah, I've gotten pictures of it, but I've never actually held it in my hands. But okay, so it's March now. Yeah. January, you might have missed missed the boat, so now you have to wait a whole nother year, Megan. This will be like an 80th birthday present. It, it'll be perfect. The joke is just going to keep going. <laughs> and it'll, so it'll how... never exactly hit. <laughs> it'll never exactly hit just right, but it'll still hit good. So you know how like Marvel movies are famous for their post-credit scenes? Is the post-credit scene of Dolphin Tale 2 as impactful and looking forward to possible sequels or is it enough that it just got cut and you're nowhere to be found well i'm biased because i'm in that part so i'm like yeah of course you have to fucking watch that part but it's actually real foot so i'm not even acting in that they found footage of me at some sea turtle release and they were like that's what we're gonna put in when he looks horrible and he's covered in fish guts and (laughs) Then on the day that I went in for filming, they put a ton of makeup on me. Actually, they had me in the makeup chair for like an offensively long amount of time. Like, you know, the first 20 minutes was fun. Now I'm offended that it's taking more than 20 minutes to put on this makeup. Um, 
And so I'm like, I'm like, no, it'll look good under the lighting. And so I went into the bathroom and I took a picture of myself and I was like, I look like a child. They got rid of any complexion I had whatsoever. So, and then they never put that part in the movie. That whole day of filming, they didn't put any of it in the film. So, so what's in the movie? Just you releasing the turtles? No, I'm not even physically releasing the turtle. I'm just standing by, again, I'm in it for a second and a half. And you just see this huge loggerhead turtle named Tina. I was actually interviewed in the newspaper for this, too. Her name was Tina? Uh, yeah, Tina the turtle. And she's like a 300-pound <laughs> loggerhead turtle that we had in rehab for, oh my gosh, we had to have had it in rehab for so long. And it was a really big event. And so there was this huge crowd. A bunch of news outlets were there. And I was one of the people carrying the turtle to the beach. And so we had just put the turtle down. And so this is where they start the film that's in, in the movie, where they like that clip. Because at the end, they're really just showing you like the real mechanics of the aquarium. Because at this time, I was a intern at the aquarium working there. So I, I was involved in that process. So you're doing that. And then what some Hollywood bigwig is just like, you got a good look to you, kid. Like, how did that happen? So this is the second movie, right? So the aquarium got put on the map when they made the first movie about Winter, who's a dolphin without a tail. So early on, people who worked at the aquarium found out that they were filming a second movie. And so they decided, the production company, to hire the volunteers and interns and people who worked at the movie to be in the film as much as possible. And so a lot of my a lot of my colleagues uh, are like in the film. They have speaking roles and shit. Oh, but... so you just weren't special? No, not at all. <laughs> I was very low on the ladder. So you did not meet Morgan Freeman or Harry Connick Jr. Is what you're saying? No, but I did eat dinner in the same building as Harry Connick Jr. Wow, at the same time, or just like he's been here? Yeah, they they came so. There was like some sort of filming anniversary on the day that I was an extra and they catered lobster and steak to us. Wow. And we ate in this huge tent. I, I couldn't eat it because I'm a vegetarian. That kind of sucked. I was like, I was oh. going to say, do you think lobster is like a good vibe for an aquarium? I, I don't know. I often wonder if lobster are like deer in that like, what if we don't eat lobster? What if, okay, I'm about to reveal how little I know about like the population ecology of lobsters, but do we need to eat lobsters or will they just start crawling up on the beaches and ruining beaches for everyone? You know what I mean? We got to keep them down. I mean, personally, the lobsters wouldn't ruin my vacation, but I can see people being upset about a lobster party on the beach. Did you know that they swim upside down? No. Right. So lobsters, they have got the tail that's curled under, right? You sometimes get the impression, like, or at least maybe I'm just an idiot, but I thought that, oh, in the water, the tail is sticking out straight behind them and then they flap like that and they swim. But they don't. The tail stays curved, but then they go upside down and then they beat their tail and shoot out backwards. That's their escape mechanism. And it's hilarious if you watch it on YouTube. Oh, I'm going to have to crazy? look that up because yeah. honestly, I learned something today. I there you go. did not know that about lobsters. Nor did I. I know, it's the weirdest thing. Maybe I'll look that up in the show when I teach uh, crustaceans. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to bring this up organically, but Brian, you remember that <laughs> email that you sent your dean or something like that? Oh, no, not the dean. No, 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 no. Oh, no. <laughs> the, it was the, the IT The people. email I sent IT? Yes. You don't have to say uh, anything you don't want to say, Brian. No. God, okay. So back when I had a membership at Planet Fitness, I would run on the treadmill uh, late at night. Yes. And 
I didn't have any armband or anything. I was keeping my phone stuck to the inside of my shorts that did not have pockets, just like in the waistband. So the screen of my iPhone is in contact with the flesh of my thigh. And uh, the flesh of my thigh decided, you know what would be fun? If we took the most recent picture Brian took and just <laughs> sent it to IT. And then later when he's home alone, he's going to get an email from IT about an opened ticket and ask if I need help. And so they emailed me and they were like, hi, you've opened this ticket. Are you okay? And I read the, the email and I'm just like, that's really weird. Why are they saying, are you okay? And so I, I called them and I was like, hey, I'm getting all these weird emails. And the guy on the other line sounds very uncomfortable. Okay. And he's like, yeah, we got an email from your account and it's a picture of a really weird guy looking guy. And I was just like, oh, it's like, that's when I got nervous though, because at the time, so, I mean, if we want to talk a little bit about mental health, I have clinical anxiety issues. And at the time I was not being properly medicated for that. So I convinced myself before even looking at my sent folder, because this is how my brain works. Someone is in my house right now, sending emails from my computer to IT and attaching pictures of their face. I need to get out of the house. I ran out of that house immediately. I had to call my sister and she brought her gun. And I was like, we need to go through the house together to make sure there's no one in here. And then I go back and I, 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 I look at the emails and I look at my sent folder and in my sent folder, is possibly one of the worst pictures I've ever taken of myself and went ahead and forwarded itself to IT, but that's not the body of the message. Oh, no. The body of the message is probably the best part. Somehow I ended up typing out the word help. <laughs> so really. So the way they get like a basically anonymous email from somebody who looks like they've been through the wars with the word help. Yeah, and, I, and then I found out I'm the weird looking guy. <laughs> the emails are coming from inside the phone. <laughs> the emails are coming from inside, yeah, exactly. Literally, I just oh had like goodness. the similar thing, like the similar anxiety thing the other night. Sarah was Oh at, my God, yes. <laughs> Sarah was at Brian's house because like she's dating Brian's roommate. Yeah. It was actually guest of the podcast, Sam Harity. Yeah, guest of the podcast, yeah. Sam Harity. They're playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> In a committed relationship. Um, but I want you to bleep <laughs> out canoodling when you, when you upload this. <laughs> but keep mine in so they know that it's canoodling that got bleeped out. <laughs> and that's Jeez. comedy, kids. Um, but anyway, Benny started growling at my door. Like, and I was like, what the, like, what the fuck? And, like, I went out and I, like, checked everything. And I was like, okay, like, well, the door is locked. And I, like, closed it. And then it was, like, a couple minutes later. And he got off my bed and went to my my door and started growling again. And my door, like, locks. And I was like, what the hell? And so I opened my side drawer because I'm like, I have to have something in here that will help me defend myself. Yeah. <laughs> and what I have in my side drawer is, like, my depression medication. A bag of candy from Valentine's Day. Like, four condoms. <laughs> You have a sock? You could have put the candies and the pills in a sock and beaten someone to death with it. Oh, inside, oh, inside the, the condoms! Condom. Inside the condoms and brass knuckles. So no, <laughs> never mind. Funny. 
Wait, why did you actually have a weapon in there? I'm over here MacGyvering a weapon out of condoms and candy, and you're like, oh, I might I have, have to bleep that. I don't, I don't think bra are brass knuckles even legal. <laughs> Mega just committed to a crime. Bleep that entire section. It was a out. gift. It was a gift. The brass knuckles were a gift. I think they sell them online as paperweights. So it's a paperweight, not to... brass knuckles. Yeah. But I also have, I have a hunting knife somewhere in my room in my go bag. But I guess my go bag wasn't accessible. But anyway, I was very frightened. Did you ever feel more like Kevin McAllister? in home alone i felt like moment. an episode of chopped like i just opened the box at chopped and i was like what the fuck am i gonna do with these items <laughs> <laughs> and then megan was chopped the next round <laughs> yeah. all right i also don't have an organic segue let me try and think of one organic segue was my nickname in high school we all play weekly sessions of dungeons and dragons we've mentioned it on the show before a while back actually when we had summer star on the show that was a quite a while ago, and Brian, I feel like in both the old campaign that we used to play and in the current campaign, you have a knack for creating very memorable characters. Just the and... most iconic characters. So, I, yeah, if you just wanted to explain those two characters and maybe what your process is, what's your motivation, oh your favorite gosh. moments from your characters. So. I like to make my characters is just like, you just add a little bit of everything to them. So I add a little bit of myself. I add a little bit of like real world inspiration. So like with Glondo, who was my um, gnome vigilante slash lawyer slash part-time historian, he came to mind as far as being a lawyer when uh so for those of you who are from the Southeast, maybe you're familiar with this law group called Morgan & Morgan in Tuscaloosa. We have a very similar law firm by Alexander Shinara. Is that his last name? And basically, these are very big law groups dedicated to the legalization of uh, marijuana. And I thought it would be really funny if we had like a fantasy counterpart type character who's very for the legalization of what we call dryad leaves in the campaign. But he's also like, he's, he's a little, he's a little bit of a sleazy lawyer too. So a little bit of a better call Saul vibe. And he has a crossbow called the scales of justice. And he comes, he has some really, really good one liners that uh, come out of that. Like you're about to be habeas corpses. No, no. <laughs> That was my favorite one. But wait, but didn't, but but also in the context of the story, just so people people can get get a, a good concept of this. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Glondo wasn't originally uh, at least a practicing lawyer, correct? He wasn't. No, he he was inspired. Right. So so. So a common situation that happens in D and D is uh, all the characters find themselves in jail or like trapped somewhere. Very common scenario, right? Uh, sometimes you get a scenario where all of the party is trapped or jailed except for one. That's also a common thing. Normally, I should say, what that one person does is they try and come up with a plan uh, to you know, break them out or to bribe guards or whatever. But Brian was like, no, no, no. I'm going to go to law school and become a lawyer so that I can break them out legally. Yep. By, uh, like, appealing our decision. So everybody had to wait five years, unfortunately, but I got him out. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Totally worked. Glondo is such a good lawyer that in our current campaign, my character found himself in some legal trouble. Let's put some context of who you play in the new campaign, and then I can explain the situation of what happened. Yeah, so I play a character who's called Vic Jagger. 
<laughs> Vic Jagger. Short for Victorious. Yes. I think. No. Well, no, but. This is my son, Victorious Vic for short, Jagger. Another uh, pro tip for D&D is when you make a character to make sure that they have good character flaws. And I think Vic's character flaw is hysterical and gets him into a lot of interesting situations. Yeah. So my character is basically, he's a bard. Um, so he was a washed up rock star essentially that had like one, like a one hit wonder, like back in the day. And so he thinks that everybody recognizes him and that he's just like insanely famous. Um, so like hubris. Yeah. So he will like sign pieces of paper and give people his autograph. Unprompted. Like they don't ask for it. He's just like, you're welcome. Yeah. And so I did that to a guy that we had knocked out. And then, um... Well, you didn't knock him out. No, yeah. So, so he got attacked. Yeah, yeah. He got attacked by, right. like, some, like, air cult people. And, um, yeah. he was, like, knocked out with all of his, like, some of his shit stolen. And so I was like, well, you, well, this will make him feel better when he wakes up to have a signed copy of a piece of paper by Vic Jagger. So then I was put on trial for robbing this man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Brian couldn't make that D&D session. Yeah, he was working. Literally doing, I think, DNA. Yeah, track. my advisor listens to this. I was working. I'm always working. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, if I call Brian and I get him to be Glondo, can get he defend me and lewis was like fuck it sure why not <laughs> like this might as well happen and so i called brian and he got on and it was just like <laughs> just did glondo but like in character the whole time i think i was like hey brian and you were like don't talk to my client <laughs> like <laughs> you were like please address don't address me or my client ever again <laughs> you talked the, the charges down you successfully you did it mm -hmm. You totally did it. What's your what's your new character, Ryan? Uh, yeah. So Radaron is my corn boy. Um, so first and foremost, corn is one of the most important crops out there. And as a plant biologist, I'm here to praise the gospel of it. And I thought it would be really cool if I created a rural farmer type character who's all he's ever known in life is just corn. And he's constantly carrying around corn kernels with him to give out as a gift uh, to people. He um, has been a farmer, so he, he's very strong. He, he has a lot of tank-like abilities for the, as far as like his position in the campaign. And I really, really enjoy him because he, his character is incredibly innocent, but like to a fault. Like, he doesn't realize certain things aren't okay. Kidnapping? Shh. There was no kidnapping plot. Radaron just wanted a friend. I'm trying to think. So right now, I have these uh, this awesome glider suit and a really cool spear because our current campaign is exploring these elemental cults, and I just keep taking things from each one. Um, <laughs> You're going to have a full collection by the yeah. end Yeah, and so, like, to give you an idea of, like, the amount of corn that I try to insert into each time we meet to do the campaign, we just did a volcano temple, and as we lowered down and the heat increased, all the corn kernels in Radaron's pocket started to pop. So the whole, <laughs> the whole gang was fed really well while we were going through this tumultuous experience of exploring the inside of a volcano. Brian commits to a character so hard when we first started like pandemic playing D, &D i did dress up you did, did dress up in like a cutoff plaid shirt and then painted a heart on his chest with a corn cob in the middle yeah <laughs> and this is again with to, just to reiterate, <laughs> yeah to reiterate this is over zoom yeah like this is not in person amazing so uh, so Brian, you went to it. Uh, it says, according to my notebook, you got a 
degree in integrative animal biology. Yeah. However, anybody who knows you knows that you do not work on animals, you work on plants. Exactly. So my question was, what happened? And <laughs> what happened? Okay, explain yourself. Um, and how dare you? And how dare I? Um, man, it's such an interesting academic evolution for me. So I was like vehemently against plants for the longest time. I was like, they don't even move. How dumb are they? X, Y, and Z. <laughs> I'm not interested. Same. And so I had actually taken an in advanced invertebrate zoology class. I had taken uh animal physiology i had taken the physiology of movement like all of these animal-based courses and then i took one field botany class and i just had so much fun in that class and i think the more you learn about plants the more you come to love them just because they do so many incredible things that are often overlooked just because they're plants and so when I took this field botany course, I got this brand new appreciation for plants. And one of the things that I initially thought was not as interesting about plants is that they don't move, but that's actually kind of cool. They don't move. How do they sexually reproduce? And so that's something that I got really interested in as a scientist. And so that's what I'm actually working on studying now is plant How to have sex and not move. Yeah, how to have sex without moving. That's the dream. It turns out you use bees as your little cum trains. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like beautiful. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. I mean, it, and you just to find out all the different ways that plants have like manipulated animals into into this service is just amazing. And so it's problematic is what it is. <laughs> it is problematic. Cut this all out. And they and they have to get ready to deal with like conditional changes, right? Because they can't get up and move somewhere safe. So they got to kind of they're anchored in place and they got to come up with the genomic hardware to deal with that. And so I think that's just really fascinating as well. And again, they're not moving. So you can just go back to the same plant that you were working on. It makes biology and that aspect so much easier. Now, if we're going to start talking genomics of plants, uh, things are going to get very complicated. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, studying for my qualifying exams, I'm like, like have to get in deep into like, um, like gene network reconstruction gene network like evolution and things like that and like a lot of that has been done in plants it's so freaking cool like roots why are roots so cool like root like root <laughs> evolution i was like i didn't think i was gonna get that into it and i can never tell michael because i've always been michael brian advisor because in his classes and everything i'm like boo plants and he's like plants yeah. are cool and i'm like boo and now i like he's he's my committee member. He's I'm reading all this stuff f for his questions on gene networks, and I'm like, damn it, plants are cool. <laughs> yeah. So there there's all different kinds of plants out there. Obviously, you don't work on all of them. So what is the group that you work on, and what are you what are you looking at with them? Yeah. So I work in the Agavoidae, which is the agave subfamily. It used to be called the, the Agavaceae, but I believe it was APG4, they changed it to a subfamily. And specifically within that group, I am examining in a systematic way floral evolution. And so I am looking at 
pairs of taxa in that group that are either hummingbird pollinated or hawk moth pollinated and kind of comparing what the genomic architecture that goes into forming these different flowers is and so well because flowers are like i mean it's hard to i we don't think of it a lot of times as like animal biologists but like flowers are like organs right like they are yeah, they're reproductive organs and so and it's pretty cool because you know there's this whole floral transcriptome of genes being expressed to you know basically build different parts of these organs and i'm looking at you know this medium-sized subfamily in which we see just a huge diversity of different pollinating agents. So I'm also interested in just how pollinators have driven speciation within this group. Some other notable members of this group is, you know, it's the Agavoidae, the agave, it's where tequila comes from. And the agave genus is actually huge. It has like 180 different species in it. Feel free to fact check me on that one. Not many people know this, but agaves put up huge inflorescences. When agaves are flowering, their inflorescences can be up to 30 feet tall. Oh, is that the thing where they shoot up that little stick? Yeah. So, and if you look at it, it actually looks like a giant asparagus. And that's because agaves are in the family Asparagaceae. They're actually members of what? the asparagus family. Yeah. For so, real? yeah, I dare you to go home. Google a flowering agave, and I swear to God, it's going to look like a giant asparagus. It's going to blow your mind. They shoot up these 30-foot-tall spikes or um, racemes, and they're pollinated by bats. But you have other species that are less succulent that have completely different floral architecture and are pollinated by either hummingbirds or by hawk moths. Like I said, I'm looking at those pairs, and so... That's just kind of what I'm I'm doing, and I'm I'm just really interested in understanding how these delicate interactions again have just driven speciation within the group. If agaves are asparagus, why do asparagus make your pee smell, but tequila doesn't? I just think by the time you're peeing out the tequila, you probably can't smell anymore. That was a beautifully uh, informed question. I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably laying in bed like, oh god, if I get up, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, and, and when I edit the show, I often take out pauses so that people sound more off the cuff than they actually were. That was, there was no pause there. That was just immediate response. I, I actually, Megan gave me that picture. Uh, or that picture, that question ahead of time. So I was ready for it. Cut this out. Also, I, I just kind of remembered, we can uh, post this on the Twitter, but a, a while ago, like a long, long time ago, back when I was at Alabama, uh, Brian actually gave a tour of the greenhouse yeah, absolutely. on video. Yeah, We can link that. And so you can see Brian in action, actually showing you some of the agaves and the, the things that he's been talking about. Yeah, um, So it'll be pretty cool. Yeah, well, thanks so much for being on the show, Brian. Oh my gosh, I know. It's, it's, overdue i'm really excited to be here i know it's been a long time coming and thank you all for listening to another episode of the academia podcast i'm lewis bubrick i'm megan yapchungo and i'm brian mcneil you guys can find me uh on twitter at bry the botanist and if you would like to follow us on twitter oh my god i didn't even mention you guys i'm sorry <laughs> so if you want to if you're uh in the process of following brian and you don't follow us yet probably i have way more followers <laughs> 
feel free to keep that one in because it's true. So if you follow Brian and you don't follow us, which in Brian's own words, you probably do follow him and not us, go ahead and give us a follow at Yakademia Show. We post um, updates and things for like the next guest. If you would like to be on the podcast, you don't have to be a biologist, just anybody in any discipline within academia. We'd love to chat. Um, And that's it. So goodbye. We'll, We'll see you next time. So goodbye, everybody.